week one was about um, pain behind the mask. And what I talked about was how we like to stuff pain when we wear a mask and, and how we think a mask is going to really fix all of our problems of pain. But re- in reality, it's God's presence that genuinely fixes our pain. I talked about that in week one. Week two, I mentioned about fear beyond the mask, which means that sometimes we are, we wear a mask because we are afraid or we're full of fear and doubt of what God can really do in our life or the situations in our life that we are afraid of. I talked about last week how Jesus fights for your fears because he does. A lot of times when we are fighting our own fears, we come up short. But when we put it in Christ's hands, he is able and just to fight for our fears. And that was last week. For week three, I want to start with a uh, a little bit of a of a of a story illustration. I almost brought it for my birthday this year, turning twenty three years old this year. My brother Matthew bought me a Spider Man mask as a twenty three year old. Right, I am a child, and I bought and he bought it for me, and I wore it probably three times, and then I just kept it on my shelf when I was living back at my parents' house, and then when I moved out, I brought it with me, and so I. I was going to use it as an illustration talking about um, uh, superheroes as another form of mask. Obviously, some of us have some favorite superheroes. Who really loves Batman? Anybody? I figured y'all would raise your hand. Uh, Spider-Man? Uh, Doctor Strange? No? Okay, a couple. Okay, I see you. I see you. Hulk? Um, let me think of some, some other ones that y'all might. Uh, Black Widow? Of course, obviously. Y'all were going to raise your hand for that. Black Widow. Um, Star-Lord, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy? Nothing. Really? That was the funniest movies I've ever seen, man. That was the best ones. But but we Thor, there you go. Thor, obviously. Thor. Captain America? Okay, 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 okay. A little generic, but I'll, I'll let it pass. I'm joking. Um... um so, so like obviously nowadays, like with with movies and all of that, like like the MCU has exploded. I've, it's one of the biggest corporations right now in in the world, not just the U.S. and and even um, even though DC is not as popular, DC superheroes are popular amongst. And superheroes are a big deal because it's not just their power that we love; it's also their personality. Some of us love a superhero not just for the power of what they do but we do love their personality me i really love spider-man obviously because if i was spider-man for a day i would web swing that was my that was the first thing i would do i made i made i made a conclusion to myself that peter parker has never bought a roller coaster ticket in his life because he can web swing the whole time he doesn't need to ride a roller coaster he can ride the whole time web swinging so i don't i don't think he's ever bought a, a roller coaster ticket because this dude swings at like 40, 50 miles an hour, sometimes almost 80, if he's really getting into it. That's why I really like, that's the best superpower that I think. It's the coolest, you might think different, but to me, that is the coolest. But I've talked about Spider-Man before, and I've talked about how his character, I love his optimism. I love his getting back up again. He He's the comeback kid. Because there's, he's been through a lot, yet he gets back up again. That's always been my favorite type of character, whether it's a superhero or not. But I'm talking about nothing of Marvel, nothing of DC for my illustration. I want to talk about a Disney classic, The Incredibles. I want to talk about Syndrome. He's not, he's, he was supposed to be a superhero, but obviously in the, in the show or in the movie, he turned into a villain. And what caught me, the way that he turned into a villain, obviously you see it at closer to the end of the movie. Who has seen The Incredibles, by the way? Everybody seen it? Oh my gosh, Dakota. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. <laughs> watch the movie. Um, so, so in the beginning of the movie, he was, he's first called, he calls himself Incrediboy. That's what he calls himself because he wanted to be something that Mr. Incredible was and he was excited about it. And so Mr. Incredible, I finally figured out the name because this morning I was trying to figure out the name of the, of the villain he was arresting. I was calling him bombastic, but it's bon voyage. I was saying it wrong. And his, in Mr. Incredible was, uh, arresting bon voyage from, you know, stealing stuff, whatever he was stealing. And one of the, one of the 
one of the things that happened was incredible. It interrupted everything. He interrupted everything. Even though he had good motive, he interrupted the whole arrest. And so that ended up, you know, him leaving, going, get the cops and a whole thing. They pull a Spider-Man 2 with the train. And, and it was like, it was, it was a big moment that Mr. Incredible was kind of aggravated because Sin, Sin Incrediboy was doing something out of good motive, but at the same time, Mr. Incredible is frustrated because he messed it up. And so the conclusion of that was Mr. Incrediboy went home what I call the term disappointed. Because the thing that that he had to that he he had a painful realization that in he was not super. He did not feel super once and Mr. Incredible told him you need to go home, buddy. I work alone. You, I don't need you with me right now. And I believe that that syndrome experienced a term called embarrassment. Look to your neighbor and say embarrassment. Look to your other neighbor and say embarrassment. Embarrassment is not is not the root of what he was feeling. He was he was feeling somewhat embarrassed, but that wasn't the root of his feeling. The root of that of embarrassment is shame. He was really experiencing some shame. He was told to go home and his hero, his idol crushed him, making him the villain of the movie. And one of the things about shame is that shame will cause embarrassment. Shame shame is the root of embarrassment. Shame is the is the foundation of every like because we can say that we're embarrassed but we really feel ashamed of who we are sometimes and, and maybe even what we've done. And one of the things about shame I've learned, I, there's two types of people that experience shame and it's your reaction. Newsflash, you're a human being. Newsflash, you're flesh and blood. So this means that you have a survival instinct when you are experiencing shame. And I've learned two types of people that do this when they feel embarrassed about something. Let's make the scenario. Like, for example, at school, when, when someone says something about you in front of others, maybe it was a secret that they weren't supposed to tell, or it was something that was messing up your name. There are two types of people that they go to this if they feel embarrassed. The first type of people is running away. Like, like I'm going to move to another state. I'm not going to live with my parents anymore. Even though my name's Amanda, I'm going to name myself Bill. I'm not living at this school anymore. I'm gone. I'm gone. That's running away. That's like, oh, this was embarrassing. This was the worst. But it's a form of running away and hiding because of the embarrassment. The other side of this embarrassment personality is people who will buck up because they will not take the disrespect of embarrassment. And so they're like, how dare you disrespect me and embarrass me? I will come back at you and probably like cross you or something. That's, that's naturally some of our instinct is to either run or to buck up. Both are bad routes. Cause you're probably thinking, Oh no, hitting somebody's worse than running away. It's somewhat, but not exactly. Bucking up to someone is, is, is even more embarrassing. I get, I can, I can say that. But what I can also say is that running away and stuffing what has embarrassed you and not facing it is just as bad as trying to face it in the wrong way. Both places of shame are dangerous. Shame is a big concept that, that, that we don't know how to get free of sometimes. And tonight, tonight's message is not about what you've been embarrassed about, or, or maybe you're, you're, it's not about that you're ashamed of someone or some circumstance that you're going through. I want to specifically directly penetrate the topic of how you are ashamed of yourself. That is my pinpoint tonight. I want to dig deep into who you are and what God says about shame and how you should think about shame because shame is a weapon of the enemy to retreat from purpose. The enemy uses shame to retreat you from a purpose that God wants to put in your life. But shame is just an, has just enough of a throttle to stop you from your purpose, 
to stop you from having confidence, to stop you in a place where you can't really get to where God wants you to be because shame is keeping you behind the closed door. And so tonight I want to show you because I want I want I want to I want to give you that question. Here's a t- here's a question. Do you feel like you are pretending to be something that you are not? Are you here tonight as you or another version of you of another version of you of another version of you? Maybe it's a third version that you you tr- you messed up twice and so now you got to go on a third person. Who am I speaking to tonight? Who am I really talking to? Am I talking to Charlie? Am I talking to Charlie Bernard? Or am I talking, you're just an illustration, I promise. He's a great kid. Is it Charlie or is it a version of Charlie that I'm speaking to? Because the one that I want to speak to, I know, we don't even know. We'll find out later on. I don't know. We'll see. Huh? (laughs) You don't even know. But I don't want to talk to the version that you're giving me. I don't want to talk to that person. That person can leave. I want to talk about, I want to talk to the person in you that you're not proud of. Because I wish I would have had someone talk to my real me instead of talking to a me that I projected. I, I, most of my life, I have struggled with an image problem. Only because I was in, I was a church kid. I grew up in church. I was in diapers, in a church, in nursery, all of these things. I've been in this whole shindig. I know how service goes. I know when it's supposed to end. I know the whole role. I'm like a veteran in this. But the thing is, is that when you grow up in church, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes because you never really genuinely walk away from God because some of us do stick with it. But when we grow up in church, there is this routine that kills us. And that's what was killing me. I had a lot of image because everybody would compliment that we had a, a, a good family because little to that be told, we weren't always the best family, but at the same time, there was an image on me and mostly me because I was the oldest. I was, I was the oldest out of the bunch. And there was an image on me that really propelled me downward for a couple of seasons of my life because I felt like I couldn't break out of something that was in me, so I had to hide it and show people something else. It's the shame within the mask. The mask is what's stopping. The mask is the shame. Shame within the mask means that there's shame in your mask. There's shame behind it. So you put on a mask to be someone different that you're not supposed to be. Tonight, I believe that the Lord has some things to say in his word about shame and provide you with real freedom. And that's my title tonight. My title for week three is Shame Within the Mask. Shame Within the Mask. There's a couple of things. There's three things I want to tell you about what God thinks about shame and what God thinks about you. Because I'm not talking about what God thinks about the the you that you show others. I'm talking about the you that is deep down how God wired you. Because some of us in here are embarrassed about how God wired us. And that's not how we're going to live in freedom. It's trying to be something that we're not. Or trying to be a projection of something that we want other people to see. That is shame of you. And so I want to show you tonight how God thinks of you, the real you, that you might put to shame. You put to shame your real you, and you glorify your real you, your fake you. So you so you put to shame your real you, and you glorify your fake you, because your fake you gets more Instagram likes than your real you. Your fake you gets more attention than your real you, because your real you, nobody, nobody can really understand the real you. So you put on a fake you that's more common sense. Because you feel like you're, you can't really, people can't understand you from the real you. Maybe this was an experience in your life. Maybe this was something that people shut you down for being the real you. And now you put on a mask because you are ashamed of the real you. And God has something to say about the real you. Which I believe can break you free of that shame of the real you. 
Because your real you, that you, is what God wants. What God wants to use in his kingdom. He doesn't want to use a version of you that knows 16 scripture verses and can crochet a cross. He does not care about that. What he does care about is a you who is genuine, you who wants to serve God diligently. That is what God wants. God wants the real you. And that's what he wants from you tonight. The first thing I want to let you know that what God thinks about you is that God will never put you to shame. God will never put you to shame. Romans 10 verse 11 says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Another translation says they will never be put to shame. God's plan for our lives is to live outside of shame. That's always been his plan. He's always wanted us to live outside of shame. Shame can deeply come from a place where we genuinely have not put our faith in him. Because if I know, if I've read the word, and I have seen God say, he'll never put me to shame if I trust in him. If I'm living in shame, I have to ask myself the question, what did I let in? What have I let into my doorstep of my heart that has caused shame? It could be not trusting God or putting your faith in God fully, or it could be the outside voices that you listen to that make you ashamed of who you actually are. One thing about the Christian, if you've been, if you've been in, if you've been churched for more than more, more of you, more of your life, raise your hand. You've been in church all your life since diapers, man, everybody, most people. One of the things about being churched is that I, I was never taught the difference between conviction and shame. I was never taught that. I never knew the difference between shame and conviction. I've learned this, and I'm going to give you this nugget from a church kid to a church kid, or even if you haven't been in church, this can be for you too. I'm going to tell you right now, shame, no, conviction is humility. Shame is, shame, I messed up my words. Let me go back again. So conviction is humility. Oh, I got it. Humility but shame is humiliating. Conviction is humbling. You have to humble yourself under the authority of what God is speaking to you to coach you. Conviction is more of a life coach to where shame is humiliation. Shame is you being lower than you should be. There are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who will call themselves the dogs of the earth, the, the scum of the earth, when in all reality they are set in heavenly places with God. So it seems funny to me that some people don't have a conviction urgency, but they have a shame problem. Because they are so ashamed of themselves that they are calling themselves lower than a dog. But God, God's hand is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to walk you through all of this. The Holy Spirit is like a coach. The Holy Spirit is like a, it's like someone who's willing to walk you through certain things in your life and call it out for what it is and walk you through it. But what the enemy does is that the enemy does use shame and it causes a lot of beating yourself up or humiliating even yourself and not really caring about yourself that could be the things of like of like you just did the worst thing known to mankind why would you do that how could you do that and this might not be the voice of us but this might be the voice of other people that we have listened to that we have heard of but the holy spirit's conviction is not that the holy spirit's conviction and this is for people in this room who have had difficult shame in their life, whether from others to themselves 
you have had a hard time knowing the difference between conviction and shame because conviction's been twisted. Conviction, you have to, you have to feel so sorry for yourself to feel the conviction. But the conviction is more of a walking through and walking and dealing with the situation at hand. That's conviction. But shame, shame brings humiliation. You humiliate yourself when you make a mistake. You're ashamed of yourself when you make a mistake. That is shame. Shame does not support you. Shame does not make you feel any better. Matter of fact, it makes you feel more sorry for yourself. It makes you feel more down of yourself than you are. How, why would you talk yourself down like a dog when you should be talking to yourself like God sees you? How God sees you as a child of God. Why can't you see it that way? I think it's ultimately because you have dealt with shame most of your life. You don't even know what conviction looks like. And that's the problem. Shame is someone who constantly tells you demeaning things about what you've done. Whereas conviction is like a life coach through the Holy Spirit to help you to win next time. See, sin sin and mistakes and shame and all this stuff, it's not just a one-time where I'm just going to stop doing all of these things. It's more of a continuation of time. It's more of a continuation of growing time after time. Shame will stop you from growing. Shame will, I said this a couple weeks ago in one of my messages, and I talked about how how being a victim is, is the enemy of accountability. And I talked about how when you let shame make you a victim, accountability is attacking to you. And when that comes to that point, growth stops in your life. So, like for another example, a leader in your life. Let's get a little bit more specific because maybe everything to you looks like shame. Everything to you looks like, looks like an attack. Oh, everything looks to you like they're out to get you. If a leader walked up to you and you've been telling the leader what you've been going through, whether, whether it's a close friend that walks with the Lord or it's some leader either in here, wherever, and you tell them what you're struggling with. And maybe you've talked about it for a while and it's still going on. And the leader boldly comes up to you with kindness and tells you, hey, what you're doing, it, you, it, you, it, this keeps happening. We got to do something about this. It's destroying your life. It's not benefiting you at all. We got to do something about this. I, I want to walk you through this. What you're doing is not right. Some of us in here took that two ways. One of us, took it as an attack. Some of us took it as advice. Some of us take it as an attack and some of us take it as advice. And the reason why you take it as attack, it's not that you're rebellious. You're not rebellious against it. You're not evil towards it. You're not a horrible person for feeling like it's an attack. Because from the outside, if you're bashing with the leader about this, the leader doesn't know what's going on within you right there. When you're trying to defend yourself and you're like, how, dude, you don't even, you don't even know what I've been through, all this stuff. We don't know that you think it's an attack. Leaders don't know. Friends don't know. People don't know that it's an attack that you feel right now. You're not being rebellious. You're not being rude towards that leader. You feel attacked. And your survival instinct is to either fight or run. Fight or flight, that's what you're doing in that moment. You're fighting or flying away, running as far as you can. For example, I same scenario. You feel the shame. To those who run away, this is your reaction. Man, they were, they were really mean to me about what they told me. I'm not meeting with them next week. I'm done with this. I'm finished with this. They think they, think they know everything about me, and I'm not going to do this anymore. That's running away. The other one is you didn't even leave the room yet with this leaving you, and you're just headed it with them. You are fighting against something that is potentially going to help you. 
But because, listen, y'all, this is the root of it. The shame is so normal that the attack is normal. That every, you feel like everyone's against you and it's normal. But God wants to set you free from that mindset because there is accountability that will set you in freedom. But the only way for that to happen is for you to step out of that shame. That's the root of it. The root of it is shame that leads to feeling like you're attacked, feels like then to the root of the action of running away or bucking up to this person that is embarrassing me. But if it's someone who's genuinely helping you and you buck up that quick, the shame is deeper than you think. The trigger of the shame is deeper than you think. God's intention with your mistakes is to walk you through them and not to bring you below who you are. That is not God's intention with his leaders, with anointed, anointed people in your life that want to walk you through things. That's not God's intention is for you to feel attacked. But maybe shame is so normal in those places that you are very hostile towards the accountability because it is, it feels like an attack. It feels like it's being rained on. Jezebel threatened Elijah. She never did, she never touched a hand on him. And he asked God, I want to die. Take me out of this. She has done nothing yet. But there is this, there is this, what they call it, phantom pain. There is this phantom pain of shame that even if it's good advice, holy advice, someone that wants to see you win, you run and duck or you get up and buck at them. Shame does those two things. And God wants to set you free from that because there is freedom in your life that you can have. This is why we have a hard time in our life because we don't want the bubble around us to get bigger or to have people in it. This is why we struggle because we're alone. This is why we struggle because we don't put people in our life to back us up and hold us accountable and put us in our right place sometimes because we do need that sometimes. There are places in my life where I need to be put back in check because what I'm doing is not right. But they're not doing it out of, out of, out of bad correction. They're doing it out of love and sincereness. But most of us see advice, good advice, as an attack. And that's where the root of all that is shame. God doesn't want you to be below who you are, but he wants you to be where he's put you in his kingdom, which is above where you put yourself. That's where he wants you. Second point, second thing is, is that Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. I, I had this quote long ago and I thought it was amazing to know that Jesus was rejected by others and had the full cup of the wrath of God so that I could be accepted and cherished by God. That's what Jesus did, and I can prove it. First Peter 2, 4-9, through 9, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. This is where Peter is affirming God's people. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices to please God. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Another translation put to, will not be put to shame. This, you who trust him, recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. He's talking to us. But you are not like that. For you are the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
Jesus was shamed and rejected by others, but chosen by God for great honor. So when you feel rejected, when you're experiencing shame, when you're experiencing disappointment, when you're experiencing all of these things, you have to remind yourself that you are accepted by God, that your position is not where people put you. It's not where sometimes you even put yourself. Your position is where God has placed you in your life. And where is that? In heavenly places. Where is that? In a place where you are royalty. He called us He called us a royal priesthood. Peter confirmed it through the influence of the Holy Spirit that we are children of God, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's very own possession. That is value. That is value. More than any other person that can value you. Listen, y'all. Jesus was rejected by people and he carried the, he drank the full cup of the wrath of God on that cross so that we can be accepted by God because nothing we could do, nothing of works. I'm glad it's not works. I'm glad I don't have to work my way up to get God's attention. I'm glad I don't have to strive hours and hours of feeling like this religious person in order to make it to heaven. It takes a belief in Jesus. It takes a surrendered life to Christ in order to experience God and make it to heaven. It doesn't take trials and laps. It doesn't take all of these loops to go through. It is easy and accessible. It is easy and accessible. And it's for everyone in this room. Everyone needs God's grace. You know what I'm saying? We all need God's grace. Well, Jacob, I don't, uh, I don't do drugs. I don't do, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't sleep with other people. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't do all this stuff. Yeah, but yeah, but you worry, but you control, but you manipulate things and manipulate faith and manipulate others. Yeah, you don't do all that stuff, but you cuss up a storm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Shame hits every piece, but everybody in this room needs God's grace as the person on the side of them. The person who who cusses all the time needs just as much grace as a drug head. The person who sleeps around with other people needs the same amount of grace as the gossiper. We all need grace. We all need it. I need it. You need it. When you get to a point where you think that people, some people's sins are bigger than yours, you need to go to the altar eventually. Because when you live in a place of pride, not just from a place of pride, I'm going to tell you what it is. I figured it out because I used to be like this. Sometimes I am. And I've learned this. Because my sin is private and my sin is bothering me, it is sometimes even better to point somebody else out instead of focusing on myself. I can see everybody because listen, public sin is easier to call out than private sin. It is easier to call out people who expose their sin willingly than for us to deal with our sins privately. And this is a problem, especially in the church where we will prioritize and talk about other sins that are major. I call them, I call them popular sins. Sins that are extremely popular for people to dog on. But the sins that are kept private. I don't know if y'all understand this, but sin is sin. And any type of sin separates us from God. So you talking about somebody else's sin is already gossip and now you sinned. So you, you kind of like, you, you kicked yourself in the butt. Sin is sin, no matter if it's big or small. Yes, some affect more than others, but any sin, nobody was righteous. No, not one, Paul said. Every type of sin separates us from God. So that's why the sins that we take the most lightly of 
needs the same grace as the sin that we take the most importance to call out. Sin in us, no matter what it is, we need grace, right? We need grace. I need grace. I worry sometimes. Sometimes I dread the day that that one of the dreads, and it's so stupid, I dread the day that I will be sick and somebody's going to have to fill in my spot three hours before we have service. That is a, that, that gives me cold sweat sometimes thinking about that. Like three hours before I have to preach and I'm not feeling good, I got to let somebody else do it. And maybe what if they're not ready? And what if they can't preach the message the same as me and all of this stuff and they can't bring in the same deliverance that I would want to deliver it? And it's like, oh, I'm trying to like fear, worrying, hasting. That was a big spit. Hasting, running, freaking out. That's sin. The funny thing is, is that because things feel normal, they're not as shameful. Because yeah, yeah, if if you're if you're doing moral failure, yeah, that feels a shame, feels shameful. But there is something that the devil is. The devil's crafty. The devil has used sins that seem minor. Because I'm going to tell you right now, private sin, sin that we don't call out, is a lot more dangerous to get set free from than public sin. And the reason why I say that is because those sins can be worked on. But private sin, that's between you and God. That's between yourself If nobody knows, I won't get caught. Sin does find you out, but sometimes the enemy will make sure that the sin does not find you out. And it keeps you enslaved, okay? There are sins that some of us have been struggling with a long time that nobody knows about. Yet we are so easy to call people out that have a hard time already trying to struggle with the fact of where does it go? How am I going to get set free from this? And we call that out. It's, it's a human condition that we all commit and experience. But we all need grace. We all need grace. We all need the same grace that everybody else in this room, no matter what type of mistakes you're doing right now, no matter what... Let me say this, God's grace is not just for your past sins and past mistakes, but his grace is even meant for the stuff that you are doing right now because his grace is sufficient in weakness. His grace is sufficient in your problems right now, in the issues that you face with right now, in the sin, in the dumb decisions that you make right now. His grace is for it. That's why I I rejoice in knowing God, because the goodness of God is that grace is free. Did you know grace is free? Grace is free. His mercy is free. His love is free. Christ, receiving Christ is free. But we take it for granted sometimes because we forget. Paul told us to remember these things. Because if we would forget these things, we will easily fall away. We have to remember that we need grace. And when we understand that we need grace, shame is lifted. The third and final point I want to show you, Jesus frees us from shame. 1 John 1, 8-9. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth John is saying, if you say you are not sinning or you have no sin or, oh, I would never struggle with that. The truth's not in you and you, and you actually fool yourself. You're not fooling anybody else. It's worse when you fool yourself compared to when you fool other people. But if we confess our sins to him, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Number nine is the answer to your shame problem. Sin 
keeps shame alive in our lives. It's hard because, because in my life, a Christian doesn't sin. But I've learned that you're not just a Christian, you're a human Christian. You're a human being Christian. Which means you have faults, mistakes, mishaps, hang-ups, dysfunctions, habits, all of these things. You have all of these things. You have all of that. And something of the sin might be stopping freedom and it might be pulling shame in your life. If you are struggling with shame, let that, because sin might be the root. There's other things that can cause shame. There's a lot of things that can cause shame, but the root of it might be this. If you ask yourself this question, what sin still exists in my life? This might be the root of why some of us still experience heavy shame. When we harbor sin in our hearts, it's like a cancer that grows and eats us alive from the inside out. It's not just about what you're doing wrong. It's about what wrong is being done to you on the inside. On the inside, sin makes a disease called death. Whatever sin has caused you, to put a mask on over your true self, God wants you to experience freedom in, watch this, confession. Freedom for you is confession. Confessing your sin to God in verse 9. Put back up verse 9, Simeon, for 1 John. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. Charles Spurgeon said this one quote. He said, a man or a woman who confesses their sins to God is a Christ-filled man or woman. If you decide to start confessing things towards the Lord that you do know or you might not know about, because trust me, there are hidden sins in your life that you might not know about that might be stopping and putting shame in your life. I want you to know that the confession of your sin to God will set you free from shame. Here's another challenge before I close. Let me give you this challenge. Find a trusted leader or a close friend who walks with the Lord. Not someone who puts a scripture verse on their bio, but someone who's fully surrenders their life to Christ and is walking with the Lord. That's who you need to talk to. Be bold to confess your sin and shame. Ask God for forgiveness and receive the healing he promises. The application of that is confess your sins to destroy the shame. Y'all, the Bible says that is the only way. If it is sin, it might not be sin. It might be other stuff. But if it is genuinely sin, there's no other way to break free of shame than to confess it. First thing, ultimately to God. And if it's a sin that you struggle with, you find someone to walk you through it. Because fighting with sin, you're not supposed to walk alone in that. Did You, you knew that, right? You're not supposed to walk in sin, fighting sin alone. You need, that's why community is so important. That's why youth life is so important. That's why family life church is so important because when you get plugged into something like this, you have people around you who are willing to walk with you through those problems. But we get scared. We think of the what if and we let the devil run our mind and we are not able to receive freedom from shame because we are so scared to confess. But the Lord, I believe, is calling some of y'all to be free from shame. And that's what I believe God wants to do in your heart tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want, we're only going to do one thing tonight. I want you to sit in where you're sitting with head bowed, eyes closed. I want you to do yourself a favor and I want you to make the boldness. I want you to confess a sin that you know or a mistake that you have made that you might know to God. And the reason why is because 
once you do that, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you. It does not mean God's going to condemn you for your mistakes. It does not say that God will condemn you for your sin or put you to shame. It says that he is going to forgive you when you accept and confess that sin. He's going to confess it towards you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, pray a simple prayer to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, I, this sin, and you can get specific with God. It stays between you and him. God, I've been dealing with this thing for a long time. I've been struggling with this thing for a long time. Lord, I'm ashamed of it. It's causing a lot of shame. It's destroying my life. It's destroying relationships. It's destroying my way of seeing you and others. It's it's making me miserable. Lord, I need I need your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me with your forgiveness. Lord, help me to know that I am forgiven, that I am restored, that I am put back together through you, that I don't have to struggle with this sin anymore, Lord, that you are the one to set me free. You are the one to walk me through this. You are. You are the one. This sin has been really heavy on my heart lately, Lord, but I know you are faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse me of the unrighteousness. And the one thing I know you won't do, Lord, through your word, you promised that you are faithful and just to forgive us. Paul said, come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can have your sins forgiven. To where shame can be lifted, fear can be lifted, Doubt can be lifted. Overthinking thoughts can be lifted because sometimes the root is sin. But Lord, we confess it right now towards you. We confess whatever we've been doing or dealing with, Lord, we confess it to you, Lord, so that we can be set free, so that we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness, so that we can be cleansed of these things. We need your grace, Lord from someone who struggles with what we call the littlest sin to the one in this room who we call the biggest sin to struggle with. Lord, all sin is covered through grace and mercy. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We praise you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you leave, I want to take a quick second. You can keep playing, uh, Rachel. I want to take a quick second to let you know something. I want to, after this, y'all can leave. But I want some of my leaders to come up here right now. James, Sarah. Uh, I think that's the only two right now. You know, yeah, I know the other Sarah's not here. You, you, this Sarah, you can come up. Just come stand right here. And James as well. I'm going to tell you y'all are good to go. But us three up here are the three types of people who are willing to walk you through a sin that or a mistake that you might be struggling with. And this is an invitation. This I'm not forcing you to come up here. I'm not forcing you to confess all of your mistakes because that can be embarrassing. Here's the first thing you need to know. Whoever you tell out of these three stays between them, you, and God. Nobody else is going to know about this because it's nobody else's business because you didn't tell anybody else but one of these three people. This stays because leaders, there's a policy where we keep things with you because you deserve to feel safe in a place, okay? Number two, I've had, when I was a teenager and I was in here when it was called fusion, there were certain things that, that I didn't trust certain leaders about because I had already experienced firsthand that they couldn't keep secrets. So I wanna tell you right now, I know exactly what you are feeling right now. 
That's why I wanted to disclaim that firsthand. Because I know what it's like to lose trust. I know what it's like to lose and get embarrassed by something. But I'm gonna tell you something right now. I make it, look y'all, I, I love y'all so much, I promise you. I love you very much enough to say that I make it hardcore with my team and I, and I tell them strictly, they can't say anything to anybody. And if it does happen, I'll have a talk and we'll walk through that and I'll make decisions. But I promise you, it is a guarantee that whatever you tell a leader or someone that you trust in this youth group, that stays with us and you and God. And I also want you to know that, like I said in the, at the end of this, it's not, it's, it's, it's bad. It's worse to walk alone than to walk with somebody. I want you to take that boldness and that understanding and, and a little bit of that risk. And I want you to know that we are here to walk you through whatever you're walking through because we understand we've walked through that I've been I was in the youth group from the age 14 till now and I have seen failures in leadership I've seen failures in keeping secrets I've seen failures in that but that changes when you experience and I believe God wanted me to experience that to tell you tonight that you're in good hands. That what is spoken to us does not go out. They, they understand that. Yeah, they understand that. Nothing. Nothing. So I'm going to release y'all. And if you need not just prayer, but maybe even a walkthrough of something in your life you are struggling with, after I let y'all go, I want to talk to you. I want to walk with you. And I say this because I don't want you to think that these things come out and these things go and, and there's a whole rampage of gossip. That's not my team. That's not what we stand for. That's not what I stand for. I stand for good leadership, for the confession to be secret and for us to walk you through it with grace, with grace and accountability, with kindness and gentleness. That's what leadership is truly about. Leadership is not bossing somebody around. Leadership is influencing somebody, walking with somebody, encouraging somebody. That is what a leader is. So if you need to talk, whether it's today or next week, or maybe during this week, if you need my number, come let me know. We're here for that reason. God is putting people in your life for a reason. Don't dismiss it. Don't reject it. You don't want to reject that. So I love you guys. Remember, if you need anything, talk to us. You're looking to go. Love you guys.